7.20 on a Wednesday morning. Last night, the Northfield City Council held a uh, work session uh, at City Hall Council Chambers. And to discuss that with us is uh, Northfield City Administrator Ben Martin. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, work session last night. Let's go through the uh, agenda and see what you talked about. It was, uh, you had... Uh, a preliminary review of some alternative options for ward and precincts. Uh, of course, we've got, uh, we have the um, census uh, results in and redistricting has taken place. Uh, what did the uh, council talk about last night as far as the, the wards and precincts in Northfield? Yeah, continuation of our discussion that we had that we've got some deadlines coming up by the end of the month that we have to make some decisions related to our our ward and precinct uh, determinations for this upcoming election following the census and the council had recommended basically no changes. We did, um, staff did bring in one precinct change for a voting location for Northfield Retirement Center to Emmaus Church, which they're, um, you know, all, all directions are heading that way. And uh, we actually held the election there the last time. And because of unknown COVID restrictions, uh, we're still looking at having it there versus the retirement center. So I think that's the easy one. We did have some listening sessions, though, open house and presentation to hear from the public, uh, which today is actually the last day for taking input formally from our process. But based on that open house, uh, we did hear from some Carleton uh, College officials requesting for a modification of the ward boundary, where along 2nd Street, we have uh, a ward boundary of uh, the 1st Ward and the 4th Ward. And they're looking at between uh, 2nd and 4th Street, uh, expanding two blocks in that direction towards 4th. And then also um, uh, from Winona Street to Washington Street, uh, they were looking at basically a six-city block area to be added in. So it was all in one ward for their students, uh, even though it's outside of kind of what we designate as the college area. Obviously, they own a number of properties between the White Center um, where they have some student faculty housing. And they were basically saying for for their community, um, it would be helpful to make it, uh, education related to elections a little easier if uh, that would pretty much encapsulate all of any of the housing that they have with that. So that was a request. Um, now, we have to follow certain laws about variance of population and things, and that still stays within our variation if we were to add those blocks in from one block to the or from one uh, ward to the other. Um, and it is contiguous and compact uh, to a degree. It does kind of shift a little bit from a major roadway on 2nd Street uh, down, so there's a little bit of a, a jet there. We did also take a look from a staffing standpoint, like, okay, how might these change in the future? The the fourth ward's probably the least likely to change in the next decade, so we're also kind of looking forward saying how might variations happen in the future, so this would take away potentially a few blocks depending on what happens with population. Again, hard to predict 10 years from now but or eight years from now, I guess, on the next census. But um, with that in mind, we got feedback from the council. We thought that it was reasonable for them probably to go either way with that, um, but they had uh, provided guidance on the first option just to stay with with how we've had things. Uh, and in the end, um, there was a majority consensus, I think, to just stay the course. Um, we would have had to have done an ordinance versus a resolution, and that's a two-step process. So we probably would have had some expedited approval processes we would have to have done. Um, but I think the feedback that we got was to stay with what was proposed based on that particular request uh, last night. Not mm. formally voted on, but it was a work session. All right. That was the feedback we got, though. So on the, as far as the other changes to the wards and precincts, really just minor stuff? Really nothing, no changes other than that one uh, voting location mm -hmm. changing, the precinct changing um, to Emmaus, uh, which actually was the same as last election. 
Um, so it appears that we're heading for a vote next month, our next meeting on Tuesday for, okay. for this. All right. Uh, ben Marting is our guest, Northfield City Administrator. Uh, a week ago, you had a, a work session on the uh, first and talked quite a bit about uh, dr- uh, flood mitigation uh, within the residential areas. Uh, you, you continued on with that discussion, only moved it downtown. Downtown flood study uh, it was discussed. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, the purpose of this study was to reduce the flooding in the downtown area for structures in parks. And then also, we've seen major flood events over the past 15 years that has really caused expensive uh, flood fights and uh, recovery efforts. And so uh, we got a grant from the federal government uh, that we are in the middle of for a feasibility study to look at alternative uh, options to help um, respond to these types of things as we see these changing weather patterns and uh, additional rain, rainfall and flooding levels. And then uh, as we go through this, we're going to look at uh, additional hydraulic analysis of the river and modeling on, uh, based on, we're using new storm modeling data, um, or have been looking at that with the residential. We're also looking at that uh, information with this uh, river corridor as well, and we're probably going to do some additional modeling with that. The watershed's a 925-mile watershed area we're dealing with. Um, So we go all the way over to Waterville, Blooming, Blooming, Blooming Prairie, Prairie, okay, (laughs) Um, and then down to uh, Owatonna um, as well. So again, we're seeing more intense storms. Uh, 2010 was our highest flood of record, and 2016 was really close to that. So over, you know, the past uh, few uh, couple decades, few decades, we're really seeing more more serious rain goals. So our our goal with the study is reducing damage from this, uh, being more prepared to combat these. So like. Can we, you know, might have to do upgrades to flood walls and those kinds of things versus sand bari- uh, sandbags and temporary barriers? How do we also meet some of our riverfront plan goals that we have related to can we also improve recreation along the way with some of that and the use of the river and access? And then also just we have historic uh, structures that are federally designated as uh, significant structures within uh, that area as well. And so it's also how might we protect those historic buildings also that are important so what are the options as examples i gave one of them we got flood walls we could expand some flood walls uh potentially raise uh, some of those there's dry flood proofing so there are things like um uh, if you are going to stay in the space and you know that coming up to the building there can be some flooding uh, you can do treatments to the uh, foundations uh, and then also where you have door openings or window openings you can have temporary kind of designed attachments to keep the water out to make it quicker and easier to to deal with the flooding there's wet flood proofing where the that's designed to let the water actually come into the lower levels uh and it uh, basically preserves the structure but uh you know if if you have equipment and things you got to raise electrical and be be prepared with that or just looking at also temporary barriers with that um, so those were a number of alternatives we took look, took a look at kind of through the through the river corridor itself. Uh, City Administrator Martin is with us. You know, there is um, a lot of the damage. Thinking back to the 2010 flood, which is the worst one, we had so much damage. Uh, thinking in particular, Froggy Bottoms, uh, the, the water table just rising up through the uh, the floor of it, and you know, popping the tiles, and all of a sudden, like flooding from the uh, bottom up. Anything that I mean, it doesn't seem like there'd be a whole lot you could do in a situation like that. Was that taken into account? 
Well, yeah, internally to the system, they've done some things like raising their electrical up. Mm-hmm. So again, those like might be uh, dry flood proofing strategies or um, maybe even wet to a certain degree, knowing you might have some water come in. Yeah. The city certainly participated on helping um, related to some property we had owned to extend the flood wall and then create some flood gates. Um, so flood gates are a thing, too, that can be used. That side of the river, actually, where the flood wall ends, um, one of the options and recommendations looked at would be to do a flood wall extension. Um, going all the way down to the Second Street Bridge, basically, uh, with that. So that would range from about $1.3 to $2.6 million um, to have a flood wall extension. That would be the back part of the flood wall. We did look at alternatives of just raising the main flood wall, but number one, it would go up a lot higher, so you would have no view of the river unless you were to raise also uh, the the walking kind of level of that, which causes a lot of issues as well. So. They were mainly looking that area as a solution to have a secondary flood wall as an option. The other area is Jeff Cross, the river that we looked at, uh, the uh, Carlson Capital Management Building has experienced on that lower level in particular. They did sandbagging, I think, on both of those events uh, to help protect. So, again, mm-hmm. that's a uh, kind of a dry dry protection, dry flood proofing uh, solution, temporary. Uh, and then there's some more permanent options they could do on that building related to the treatment of the walls and then also installing kind of kind of like a gate but something that attaches to the where there are openings that it's a more firm attachment to make it a little easier that's somewhere between four and eight hundred thousand estimated cost versus there really aren't good options on that one related to um flood wall improvements Mm -hmm. you could maybe do some wet flood proofing where they just vacate that lower level and then plan for that to happen but that takes away some usable space and then the last area um, of private property we were looking at is the flood predictions actually show higher water levels than we've actually observed um, further south uh, over by the food co-op building and then the uh, the river mall area and um so even though the predictive modeling shows that it should have actually come up higher than it did, um, we didn't observe that uh, at either of those major events in 2010 mm. and 2016. Those are the, the least cost where it, it comes up pretty close to the buildings, but with our estimates, dry flood proofing is probably necessary on, um, on a couple of those areas, probably in the uh, $150,000 to $300,000 range. So mm-hmm. those were kind of the options. There is the ability to put a flood wall in there as well. It's quite a bit more expensive, but that could be an option uh, to take a look at. And some of these things, too, is you can be prepared that if you as we do further modeling on what we might see in the future we that we might become more of a reality or if over time on certain areas where you're not completely sure you might be prepared to move in that direction if you see see some of the changing uh, happening with that but we also took a look at some of the parks as kind of the last piece um where you know like ames park uh, babcock park riverside lions park where we've had some some flooding during those events and you could do fl- fill in the flood fringe area, so not real close to the river, but the secondary area, you are allowed to fill those areas. Um, so that that's an option that was looked at. It can be pretty expensive to bring in dirt and fill and all of that too. And you got to also be careful not to fill the entire areas because if everybody does it, then it becomes a bit of a problem. But in these cases, on the grand scheme of our watershed, filling those areas are pretty minor. So it really won't have uh, downstream impacts if we were to do that. But one option is, is as we plan the parks out, if you put structures in as an example, considering at least having those elevated so that uh, they're protected during rain events. If you see flooding videos, sometimes you might see out in the middle of a park, there might be like a park shelter or something, (laughs) and it's like an island all on its own. Well, that's intentional when you see some cities that do that. 
because they might allow the flood areas all around it to go there, but to protect the structure, they'll raise just around the structures for those. So those are strategies uh, that they're evaluating with this mm. as well. All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, yeah, the in- introduction of a proposed Heritage Loft Apartments, and they also have a, a TIF request in. Uh, first of all, Heritage Loft Apartments, uh, What uh, what is that proposal? Yeah, back behind, I would say kind of back behind uh, Target on mm-hmm. Heritage Drive, uh, the owner of the Mosaic Apartment Complex also owns a kind of a large remaining 14-plus uh, um, acreage area um, to uh, that they're looking at developing some additional um, uh, apartment complexes with that so it's a, a little under three acre site that they're looking at uh, to do the development and the proposal includes an apartment building of 90 units there'd be six three bedroom units 37 two bedroom units and 38 one bedroom units and nine studio units for that um, and uh, it's a three-story apartment complex uh, on the site underground parking uh, would be included on that uh, some surface parking as well there's a number of amenities with it kind of workout room some uh, uh, doggy facilities rooftop patio some grilling areas a conference space for them and uh, kind of the fitness center type of an area related to it it's a 22 million dollar project um, they are looking at adding or including that uh, uh, an affordability component that of those units, 20% would be at 50% average median income or lower um, for affordability. And that makes them eligible to apply for our tax increment financing assistance to guarantee for the life of the TIF district, which could be upwards of 26 years uh, to utilize the new tax value to help subsidize the units to include some affordability. They'd be applying the units basically across all of the uh, all of the different types of units, so equally distributed amongst the studio, the one, two, and three-bedroom units for the affordability component. And they have to prove uh, annual reporting on that as well. So um, we, we got an ta- initial look at the site. They actually have site plan review far underway currently with this project. And um, the council got an initial early look at the uh, kind of the drawings and project scoping for some initial feedback. It's going to be making its ra- rounds here over the next couple months to our planning commission, housing and redevelopment authority to review the TIF process that we go through uh, to consider some assistance uh, for the project. Boy, $22 million. That's a good size project. Yeah. And the, you know, the prices keep going up. So these are, they're probably at, at right now, you know, making adjustments based on current market conditions. And, you know, it's about 200, it's just over $240,000 a unit that, that this costs. So, I mean, housing's pretty expensive and that's for an apartment mm-hmm. unit. That's what you're looking at for a upfront cost for that, uh, for all of those per unit. And so it's a major investment. Certainly, um, there's a lot of amenities around that area. Um, you got, you got shopping, you got grocery, you got a YMCA, um, you know, schools are within a bike, short biking distance. Uh, you could probably walk to, to some of those and, uh, and it will help, help those businesses out. I think to have that additional housing and our housing studies certainly showed there's a need for this. So it's a good site. It sat vacant for quite a while. Um, some, from some early planning that, that went South, uh, a couple decades ago, but, um, good to see a project coming forward again. Yeah. All right. Uh, one more item on the uh, uh, agenda last night. Uh, proposed ordinance amendments related to the residential rental licensing code and also nuisance code. Uh, is that, uh, did something in particular uh, trigger this one or what, uh, why are you looking at that? Yeah, so I would say uh, we found out 
you know, I, I started in 2016, and I think there probably even been some challenges before then that um, our, our rental codes really has a goal to ensure that we have quality housing, that we have clear standards and procedures. And um, as part of that, uh, just, to, just to make sure we have a good housing stock and have a good, a good standard for people to live in. And I think our, we found over time that our code was not working well to achieve those goals um, and really needed to have some pretty significant updates to that. So we were looking at kind of shortening um, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the sections, make, add them in different areas, make them more clear. We've uh, done some modifications to get into three licensing types that if you're, if you're generally good on your inspection, you fall into the, what we currently have, a three-year kind of review period unless we get complaints. Um, but then if, if you're kind of going to a Tier 2 where we've got a number of issues, you kind of, we have an action plan with it. And then if you're in a Tier 3, that'd be a two-year review. Then we do a check back at a shorter period of time. And if we have significant problems, you go on a one-year review and uh, have an, a mitigation plan that's kind of ongoing that we, we monitor. We have new enforcement mechanisms, more clarity as it relates to life safety issues. So I would say not not super exciting policy mm-hmm. things, I guess, from a code standpoint, but a major undertaking that I think's taken, I think it might have been up to two years that we've been working on this. It kind of started with a consulting study, determining scope. We've had listening meetings from landlords and tenants getting feedback on kind of up front and then on the back end with with the drafts that we've had going forward so we've got one more review with the housing redevelopment authority and then coming back to the city council um next week for um for presentation or for an introduction of the ordinance uh, with that as well um so it's uh, just a major overhaul, I would say, of kind of just foundational things on a rental licensing program. Uh, and again, to your initial question, Jeff, it, we just found that, that the tools weren't really effective for us to ensure kind of those basic basic health health and safety improvements to really effectively deal with them. Mm-hmm. All right. We're out of time, Ben. Thank you so much for coming in. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll talk to you once again next week. All right. Sounds, sounds mm-hmm. good. Thanks, Jeff. Ben Martin, Northfield City Administrator. You're listening to 95.1 FM and AM 1080, KYMN Northfield. Rich is in, in local, with the local news in one minute. This news update is brought to you by Great Rivers Mutual Insurance Company, where you can get the coverage you need from the people At you know. At Great Rivers Mutual, you get the coverage you need from the people you know and we will be there for you when you need us most because at great rivers mutual we grow trust locally with 18 agencies and over 100 agents across minnesota including northfield kenyon wanamingo goodhue and lakeville areas our agents provide friendly personalized service and know how to build a customized insurance package to fit your needs for big company amenities with a small town feel visit greatriversmutual.com to find an agent near you minnesota 